Welcome to episode 515. It's a replay from our best of series. It's with Dwayne Perkins. It's from 2011. We are sponsored today, as always, by online therapy provider BetterHelp.com. I highly, highly recommend if you're considering therapy or you're tired of doing in-person therapy or you're tired of uh, doing face-to-face during the, the time of COVID. Um, they have a ton of great counselors. They are licensed in all 50 states. Um, yeah, just go to BetterHelp.com slash mental. Make sure you include the slash mental part so they know you came from this podcast. Then just fill out a questionnaire, and if they have a counselor that they think is a good match for you, they will pair you up with one, and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if it is your thing. And uh, if you're not over 18, if you're between 13 and 17, they will direct you to teencounseling.com, and then you can fill out the necessary paperwork to get that rolling. All right, without any further ado... Here is episode 515, originally episode 69 from 2011. Welcome to episode 69, sweet 69, with uh, with my guest, Dwayne Perkins. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, an hour of honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions to everyday compulsive negative thinking, feelings of dissatisfaction, disconnection, inadequacy, and that vague sinking feeling that the world is passing us by. You give us an hour. I'll give you a hot ladle of awkward and icky. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It is not a doctor's office. I, uh, I am not a doctor. It's more like a waiting room that hopefully doesn't suck. Uh, the website for this show is mentalpod.com. That's also the Twitter name you can follow me at. Um, go check out the website. There's tons of great stuff there. I'm not going to bore you by telling you all about it, but... Uh, um, you can fill out a survey and read the form and blah, 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 blah. Um, what did I want to tell you about? Oh, I saw a really cool documentary on uh, HBO about, there's an artist named named Marina, uh, Marina Abramovich. I think that's how you, her name is pronounced. And um, she was doing this, this installation um, at, I think it was at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. And one of her pieces was just her sitting on one side of a table and spectators coming and sitting in the other seat and them just making eye contact with each other. And at first I was like, oh, look at this pretentious piece of shit. And then the more I watched it, you could see how, first of all, how incredibly present she was with these people that she was sitting with. And you could see how important it is for people to feel like somebody is paying attention to them and that they matter because some of these people started crying you could just it was amazing the the wordless communication between her and the public um it completely changed my mind and it just reminds me how desperately on on a genetic level how much we need to be heard and listened to and uh, and understood and have the feeling that somebody's not looking at their watch, that they're there as long as we need them to be. That's the other thing that I thought was really cool about the, the installation is that other person could sit in that chair as long as they wanted. And uh, I think that's what was so touch- touching to these people about that. But uh, And she did this every day for eight hours a day for three months. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Anyway, 
check that that documentary out. I thought it was uh, I thought it was really cool. Um, my depression kicked my ass this last week. I'm feeling better now, but oh my god, so fucking sad and listless on a couple of days. Um, I was convinced that somebody was going to have to invent the bed car for me to get anything done. That would be pretty cool for for depressive people. Maybe we could get like a 25% discount off on the bed car. Wouldn't that be awesome? You didn't even have to get out of bed. Just go to the grocery store, you know, going down the aisle. Maybe you just got to kind of lean up a little bit, grab that can of peas. (laughs) That would be sweet. The other thing that I thought is cool about uh, about having depression and being catatonic is, uh, and this is maybe the only positive, is your portrait would be easy to paint. <laughs> that's about it. I'm starting a list on what's good about having depression, and that's that's it right now. Um, I, oh, I've got a new survey up uh, called Struggle in a Sentence, and basically what it, what it is is... Um, I want to try to convey to people that don't live with depression, addiction, bulimia, um, all the battles we talk about on this show, I want other people to be able to understand more accurately what it is that we experience. And so this survey, you, in a sentence or two, try to describe what your battle feels like. And so I'm going to read some of the ones um, about uh, depression that, that people uh how they've described it. Uh, Constant sadness, uh, always in jello, moving slow, periodic episodes of wanting nothing but to die or vanish, nauseous and can't move, lying in bed under an indomitable pile of sandbags, swimming through sludge, like everything is just adding to your sadness, like being awake is a penalty. Boy, did I relate to that one. And then uh, these... These three about uh, bipolar that I I liked. Um, uh, Feels like a switch has been flipped and I am suddenly 10,000 pounds, unable to move. Uh, Bipolar 2 with rapid cycling. Pretty much a fun fest. Depression feels like I'm empty inside. Mania feels great at first, but soon it feels like the whole world is out to get me and everyone is lying to me. Not fun. And my favorite, I'm bipolar. It's like running my life as a relay with two completely fucked up teammates. Everybody I know is bizarrely, beautifully fucked up in some weird way. I couldn't stand you in the audition. I couldn't stand you. Yes, awful. I was drunk. And I learned that I could solve my problems. And said. Through violence, since I couldn't communicate. Lonely? Yes. I'm afraid that my genitalia is ugly. That's hurtful. And what was your role in the robbery? I mean, you never knew what you were going home to. I had a jar that had teeth in it. I was a wreck. Other people's teeth? Yeah. I'm here with uh, with Dwayne Perkins, and Dwayne and I have never really uh, spent any time together. Our paths have crossed. Uh, he's a stand-up comedian. We taped our Comedy Central half-hour specials uh, the same night in uh, in New York City in in '03. You're friends with uh, Lisa Kuchel, yes, yes. Uh, who's one of my best friends. Uh, we have a lot of mutual friends, but and we've heard each other's names, but never actually sat down to talk. So I'm uh, I'm excited to uh, to have you on. Thank you, thank you. It's um, very exciting to be here. Um, you know, I've been trying to do podcasts and, uh, when I saw you, when I ran into the coffee bean mm-hmm. and you, you know, explained, explaining to me what your podcast is and was, uh, very intriguing because it's, you know, um, it's kind of actually good to not have to be funny. <laughs> I find it you know? to be 
so refreshing right. to just because in a lot of ways I think that one of the reasons that we do comedy is because we're afraid to say what it is that we're really feeling inside and it's the closest socially acceptable safe way to express oh completely what yeah. is not resolved within ourselves yeah and um also to you know to to buffer what you say to others and try to get them to understand something without coming at it directly right and it doesn't always work sometimes you get to laugh and then that's it and there's what you ultimately wanted to convey didn't quite get conveyed you know yeah yeah uh i often found that what i really wanted to say was in the premise of what i was talking about and right. and the punchline was really just a burden right exactly exactly yeah you see that a lot and i think that's it's like a big challenge with comedy um and then if the, does the punchline make them forget the premise um, so I, I, my comedy comes from the same place. I try to also, what I try to do is have the punchline incorporate a solution, but even, but because the solution is funny, because the punchline has to be funny, even I think people don't understand the solution sometimes. They don't right. get that, you know, I, I might be being a little facetious, but what I'm really saying is this. Right. And that point, the point is ultimately for us as writers is the payoff. Right. Right. And the, the, you know, the, the punchline is kind of the, the the ditch digging we have to do right, to, right. to get them to listen to our point to say I want to be heard here's how I feel about this right exactly and, and that's and that's the difference between like uh, watching someone do 45 minutes who is kind of talking about themselves or what they really believe as opposed to watching a one liner guy like one liner guys are really you know hysterical but usually like unless there's some sort of through line I think it 20 to 30 minutes is kind of like the the max that that can kind of go on right it's like a pop song there's no dynamic right. to it it right. just kind of starts at the same beat it doesn't necessarily build there's no inherent theatricality to it yeah and that's why pop songs are all like three minutes right you know, just right. before you kind of realize that you want more it's done right right <laughs> uh so uh other than your comedy central half hour what uh where would people uh know you from touring stand-up comedian obviously uh, yeah, definitely touring, and I've been on Conan a bunch, um, I don't know, five times or something like that. So between that and, and uh, you know, late the, the other one, the late late show sometimes, mainly those appearances and then traveling, touring. And, um, you know, I have somewhat of a web presence. I write a blog, and my blog is actually an outlet too because it's like I call it a – at the time I thought it was very original, but then I saw so many other people had the same – like I call it a, a like a amusing musings. Uh huh. So so and, and do you consider uh, jerking off on a webcam a web presence? <laughs> not at all. Not at all. But you know, my blog is more like taps into what I feel about things, and because it's the written form and not spoken, there's no need to have like punch, 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 punch. And I think people kind of enjoy it. You know, they it, do. They yeah. do. It's nice being able to stretch out and make a point and not feel that. Um, that that kind of pressure to uh, to have to relieve the tension, right? And and I think also like I don't know. This is, sounds crazy. At some point, I was thinking about writing a um, what do you call it? A manifesto, right? But then I thought most people who write manifestos, um, usually it, it comes with a bomb. Like <laughs> here's, you know, here's my manifesto, and here's the bomb, and right. and I don't really want to bomb anything. And then also a manifesto is like. They've already written some, like the Bible, the Quran, the right. you know, uh, the 
the um what's the other one talmud talmud yeah uh, you know buddhist buddhist teachings and stuff like that so you know i think i might still do that i might one day say here's how, what i think yeah. people how people should live but the blog is the the next closest thing where something happens i try to put it in perspective and and you know like um my latest one was about hipsters i was in portland and i wrote a blog about hipsters and um you know just sort of like because some people may not know what a hipster is and hipsters eat really bad so the blog was about how they eat really bad and yet they're still very skinny and trying to get to the bottom of that but you know and then my next blog will be about a lady i met at starbucks who was like 50 no 60 excuse me and is going to get her first computer and her husband told her she was too stupid to learn the computer. Wow. And I, get, I think they're actually getting divorced now. So That might be a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Just that, like, she was uh, so triumphant, in, you know, like, just that she was able to talk to me and she's going to get a computer and, you know, do all the things that I guess this guy didn't let her do who knows how, for how long. Right. And so, you know, you write a blog about that. It's hard to bring that to the stage, <laughs> yeah. you know, with and get, like, two or three laughs a minute. But you can, you can yeah. blog about it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you were raised. Uh, you were. Are you from Chicago, right? No, no, no. I'm. Uh, people think that because Dwayne Kennedy is from Chicago, and I actually go to Chicago to perform. Dwayne's a, lot. a great, great, great comedian. Yeah, he's he's incredible. I'm uh, from New York. I'm from Brooklyn, New York, okay. and uh, born and raised. Yeah. I don't know why I thought. Do do you hang out with a lot of uh, the Chicago comics? Well, actually, people normally think I'm from Boston because I did my early comedy. In Boston, in fact, my cell phone number is still a Boston cell phone number. I lived there for like five or six years, but I've actually actually lived. I've lived in L.A. longer than I lived in Boston. So, what what uh, what was the family um, like growing up? What kind of environment were you raised in? It's you know it's weird because I I feel like uh, I feel like I have fond memories. I look back on it with fondness, and I think when people interact with me. Uh, people kind of assume I'm like a Cosby kid for some reason, you know, but, and Dwayne so, is, Dwayne is African American. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I always try to, uh, I always try to qualify what I say cause I don't want, I never want to tell some kind of hardship, some kind of hard story, you know? So I think it was fine growing up because I always had a lot of hope. I knew I was going to be successful or whatever I did, but I grew up, you know, single parent. Uh, I knew my dad, but. Uh, my grandmother mainly raised me because my mother was f uh, 15 when I was born. Really? Yeah, yeah. So um, she's a great person. My mother's super tolerant, super patient. But, um, you yeah, know, she was 15. So when I was five, I went to live with my grandmother, or six. Because uh, in kindergarten, I missed 60 days of school. <laughs> yeah. For for what reason? Just because you're... Um, just me and my mom wouldn't get up, you know. And, you know, we lived... I lived right across the street from the school. Wow. Yeah. So I guess that was, you know, my mom's bad. But she was still, even that, I feel bad saying it because it paints her in a way that I don't think she is. Well, you know, one, you of, know? The th one of the things we say on this podcast is we're, we're, we're not here to, you know, try to lay blame. Uh, we're here to just try to sort out our feelings and talk about them in a way that the people listening to the show realize that they're not alone and that they're not abnormal right, and right. and this is just part of being human right. and we're still figuring it out yeah and that, and that's exactly what it is because at that point my father had gone to the navy and uh you know like i just didn't think anything was wrong with it but yeah I, apparently like sometimes i would go to school i guess kindergarten is half days right so sometimes i would just go to school 
and my mother wouldn't, uh, you know, she would still be sleeping, right? And I, I joke on stage sometimes. I go, I'd be like, okay, mom, going to school, and I'm five, you know, like. So, um, so that was that. But then when I went to live with my grandmother, it was uh, like, I, then I, I didn't miss any school ever. Like, she was pretty much a taskmaster. And my mom is much better now, but she still is very like, she leans toward taking days off. Like, she's still a person who. Anything, any, any, any excuse to not go to work, she won't go. That's just, I don't know, something about, I think, maybe leaving. She doesn't, you know, like, if any, if any of her kids are sick, they can just not go to school. Right. Where my grandmother was like, you go. If you can walk, you go. Really? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like, so my child was, I don't know, it was like, the, you know, I grew up mainly in the 80s. And so, it's normal when you live there. Looking back, it probably wasn't that normal because it was like drugs and, you know, violence and from the projects. But I don't like telling that story because I feel like it's not. I like telling it, and and I I I guess I'm still I'm still coming to terms with it, but because. You know, there's a such a thing called like survivor's guilt, I guess, right? And in a way, like I can say I'm from the projects and I can paint a bad picture, but I just was always very lucky. So like, really good in school. Like I just. You know, as long as I kept my nose clean, I was going to be all right. Do you do you feel any guilt uh, about the fact that you made it out and people that you loved and cared about didn't? Um, I'm assuming that w- that had to be the case. Yeah, yeah, it is. Except my mother, my mother is mad. There's something magical about her because her kids, knock on wood, are currently all doing well. My my brother, I mean, they didn't. My my siblings are like a lot younger than me, so their situation was a little different. My mother was able to move out of Brooklyn. Was well, how, how big was the gap between you and uh, and her next kid? Eleven years. Oh, that's huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. in a lot of ways, you were an only child. Right, right, yeah, definitely. And I have a nine-year-old cousin that kind of came around and lived with me as well. But, um, yeah, so my mother and her and, you know, like, her kids like are like a beacon. Like, it's not really, this. like, my sister runs a daycare. My, my two sisters run a daycare. My brother's doing his residency right now. And, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a comedian. So, yeah, it's like complete luck or blessing or something you know but yeah i i don't i don't know if i have guilt is I, I guess i have a little guilt but it's weird it, it toggles between guilt and if i had to be completely honest which i don't think i'm always honest i don't know if it's resentment but i've i do you know because i i can justify almost anything like i don't i think sadness for me is like you can rationale you can rationalize it away you can rationalize sadness away is what I feel. So, like, I feel that I'm lucky, but I also feel like maybe if I grew up in a situation that was a little more pleasant, a little less dangerous, I would have excelled more, but maybe not, right? Maybe I would have taken things for granted and ended up on drugs. So you, you just never know. You, 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 know? you don't ever know, but can you can you talk about that? You know, let's say we're giving Dwayne the freedom. Right, right. To, <laughs> we know that he's not a whiner yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about this. Well, I just think it's one of those things where um, I accept my responsibility within my immediate family as um, the person who had to break the cycle, uh, whatever the cycle is, cycle of being undereducated, cycle of uh, uh, any kind of substance abuse. I, you know, did your did your mom drop out of school when she got pregnant? Um, no, she she got a GED, I think. Yeah. So I think she finished that. And uh, but just sort of like, it's weird, you know. Like I I read I read this 
you know, the Fountainhead once, and uh, the character that you're supposed to relate to, I related to. But there's another character who they say, like, came from greatness, uh, but not immediately. And then he came, then he he went back to greatness, but he was a little scarred, right? Because my grandmother, she grew up kind of in a, in a, she grew up in Florida, and she was a little pampered for a black woman during that time, at least. She, 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 was, she was allowed to live. Which yeah, was yeah, pampered. yeah, yeah, right. She went to uh, she went to college for a semester or two, so you know, in a way, we that's the path we were on. But then she became pregnant, and with uh, my uncle, and then her life changed because it wasn't really something that you could just do back then. So then she moves to New York, and then, and then flash ahead, and like we're in the projects. You know what I mean? And uh, why do you think it is that so many fifteen-year-old girls, sixteen-year-old girls get? Uh-huh get pregnant is it that they they're they're so impulsive that they don't want to stop to wear a condom the 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 boy talks them into not having a condom or they just don't realize how easy it is to get pregnant i think it's like a combination of all of those things you know i think it's like but i think it's mainly not having that other thing you know like my mother didn't know her father do you think she wanted to have a kid you know i don't know but i do know that when my mother was 15, like, every girl she knew that was 15 or 16 or 17, they all had kids. And, you know, and I don't know if that was a pact or... But I think, it's a, I think it's just, like, that's the thing for me. Like, I just think of decisions have, like, generational ramifications, you know. So when my grandmother gave birth to my mother and then for whatever reason my mother's father wasn't around, that set my mother up to be on the path that she was on you know so luckily i think we hopefully we got it back we got it on track i think yeah but you know growing up in and you know Dwayne Dwayne, by the way has a, a reputation as being one of the uh, uh nicest most down-to-earth uh comedians um of comedians i know who don't tell the truth <laughs> no, of uh, uh of comics he has a he has a great reputation as a as a, as a nice guy do you do you ever think to yourself or is it too painful of a thought to think my mom might not have wanted me wow it's a crazy question all the time all the time do you like not that she didn't want me but that i was that a, a burden plan and, and she might fantasize about what her life would be like if she hadn't had to right, raise a kid right. at 15 she didn't plan on it but we talk about that me and my mother and um really yeah because i think that that's why I don't drink, I don't smoke, and uh, I chose comedy. That's the one thing I did. That I mean, I'm 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 sort of excelling at it. But in a way, when I was a kid, I thought I'd be like an engineer or something. And I I do have a degree in computer science, but I lived my life. People in my situation, um, you know, I lived my life to prove I wasn't a mistake, and so um, that can be very motivating. Motivating, I would imagine. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, you also have a like. For me, it wasn't only being like sad, but it was also having a chip on my shoulder. Like I, I always had a chip on my shoulder, like that I wouldn't necessarily express to people. But like, if I was fourteen and working at a job, and the owner said something that I didn't like, I would just go away and say to my place, say to myself, "I'm going to come back and buy this place." You know, that was my. For a while, I had a list of places I was going to buy. Really, go back and buy that place, buy that place, buy that place. Do you remember any of them? And fire with Toys R Us for for one. Yeah. Yeah. Toys R Us, I was going to go back there, buy it, fire the people, which obviously they don't work there anymore, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, 
I was gonna. I worked at a restaurant in Brooklyn that's not there anymore called uh, Forgiveness Steak. Mm-hmm. I was gonna go back to Forgiveness Steak and um, buy you know, it and fire fire everybody or just the guy that was a dick to you. Um, or a woman just just the it. people that yeah. yeah yeah. So I don't know where that that whole thing came from, but I had to have that fight in me because I, I had I fight I fought all the time when I was a kid. Now I'm cu- I'm curious when you have that that kind of motivation, which in some ways can be good. I would imagine when things don't work out, the frustration has to feel right. twice as bad. Yeah, you you you're good. You're good, Paul. <laughs> you you really know your stuff. You know, as a child, I uh yeah, I was people they put up with me because I showed some promise. And had I not had I not shown that intellectual promise, I don't know, you know, where I would be right now. Like like you know, I I'm thankful to all of them, all of the people who had patience with me because where I'm from, like you only get that kind of leeway if you have some sort of, you, you display some sort of ability. You could be a great basketball player. You could be something. And um, I know I'm, I'm sort of setting it up like I'm this super mind genius. I don't think I am, but I for a kid for a kid that was raised in the projects by a 15 year old. Yeah, Dwayne. yeah. Yeah, schoolwork always came easy, and you know. Yeah. And they put up with me, but I did have a lot of fights. You know, from my vantage point, people were picking on me, and I had to learn how to deal with that. Which now actually I think has crippled me as an adult in many ways, which I can I can explain. But yeah, um, when I I would get into massive trouble, I would get into such big trouble growing up. Like, like I mean, like cursing at teachers, fighting teachers, picking up chairs to throw at them. And so now, when I see a, a child who has a strong will, um, I think people are quick to stamp that out. And I always have compassion for that kid i want to understand where that will comes from and how that will can be channeled because i was just fortunate like my my family i was the, the the jewel of my immediate family on my mother's side so i would get in trouble for fighting teachers and stuff like that and then they would i would just tell my side of the story and then everyone would be okay with it they right. would, it would like amazing i don't think that's a normal thing so i um, imagine you learned the power of words and storytelling yeah, yeah, but I always also would try to tell the truth because uh, I felt like to have my mother and grandmother and aunt on my side was such a massive thing that I couldn't, I couldn't lose that. I couldn't, you know, um, so that, you know, that was great. Now, they couldn't protect me when I was just outside hanging. I had to figure out how to do that. And Can, uh, can you give me some examples of guys that, and, and girls that you grew up with? Where things didn't end up so well, not necessarily their whole story, but just to give us a feel for how, oh yeah, how it, kind of a list of this person, yeah, yeah, did that it's, this person. It's really weird because I feel like um, with my age, uh, like how old are you? I'm he's forty-one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't look forty-one. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Maybe you can edit that out when you play it. <laughs> but I uh, and so you can say, "How old are you?" Thirty-seven. You don't look thirty-seven. <laughs> Or whatever it is, you know. <laughs> but I um I feel like I'm on the edge, right? My my like the edge of whatever good was coming out of the sixties that was bleeding into the seventies, I feel like kids after my era had to deal a little bit more with the crack epidemic than I did. And I dealt with it but probably in like maybe high school, you know? But yeah, the gangs, but, the gangs didn't have machine guns when right, when right, you were right, a kid. Right. And New York City didn't have gangs per se, but we had like, you know, a drug problem. Like I, I personally know more than thirty people that have been shot. Like personally, 
Like wow. I could just start writing the names down. Really? How, but, and how many died? Um, probably over half of them died. Wow. Yeah, including my father. Really? Yeah, yeah. He was killed when I was uh, nineteen. Yeah, in in Brooklyn. But was it uh, just a random argument that just excelled? Yeah, and so probably that more than anything kind of pushed me into comedy. I would say I already loved comedy, but something about the at that moment the the thing of like choosing your own path because life is short kind of deal and what does it all mean kind of deal i think that kind of led me to comedy that makes total sense to me you know i was i was in college and i was a, a pre-med student and a little voice inside my head said what if you die of cancer at 30 right you know right. you're going to be pissed off that you didn't get to do anything fun and really tap into that right thing inside you and so i would imagine when everybody around you is dying left and right that makes it an easier decision to say i'm gonna i'm gonna follow my my passion somewhat somewhat or or like maybe i don't know maybe Fuck it, i'm just gonna do what everybody else does <laughs> or maybe you want more ambition maybe i don't know like did you ever consider uh-huh. uh, just saying fuck it and uh and just falling in with the easy money and dealing drugs and hanging out with the wrong people i would have to say no but only because I have a bloated sense of myself. I always thought I'd be Dwayne, fine. <laughs> dude, that's not a bloated sense of self. Right, that, right. Th- that's a that's a healthy confidence, and th- and that's 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 well, good. Well, when I worked at Toys R Us, plus I didn't know about, I didn't know you could be a kingpin, right? Which most people aren't. But to me, people who sold drugs, they sold drugs, and they just they still lived in my same neighborhood, and they just had you know better clothes and a better car, but they still were in the hood and they still had to like you know be careful and watch out for danger and all that stuff so it was like in fact they were now sort of locked to into the hood because that's where they sold the drugs you know so and they got used to that money right right so no i I had some friends who asked me to sell drugs too like i I only had one or two opportunities when i was at toys r us actually some guys that worked at toys r us with me we're like, all right, we're gonna you, sell drugs. You want to sell the little <laughs> little crack kit? Yeah, I think I think they sell coke, uh, not crack. I know it's a stupid distinction, but I think that's what they were. I think they went into the coke game, and they probably had to go up to, up to Harlem to buy the coke, come back and sell the coke. But I mean, realistically, it's not even that much money in that. Really, not enough to you know what I mean. And uh, but to answer your question before, like, it's weird because I I think. I do feel like crack stopped the black community's momentum in such a massive way because like like I know people who I know like many many people who've been killed, shot, drugs, jail, all of that. But also two kids from my class, my 6th uh grade class, who I was in school with from 1st to 6th grade, they went to Stanford. Two of them from and, like, my school in Brooklyn, in my district, we would always score last on, like, those standardized tests. But me and these and, like, a handful of people, we would always do really well. Did you guys hang around each other? Was, was that um, one of the keys? A little bit. Back then, though, see, back then, they didn't have, like, everybody in one class. At least in New York, they didn't. They had, like, they had figured out, oh, these kids are a little bit faster. We're going to put them all in one class. And then those kids are not quite as fast. They're going to be in the second class. These kids will be. And um, something about that I know probably wrecks the self-esteem of the people that are in class 2-3 or 2-4. But 
at the same time, you don't hold back the kids that are in two one, right? You know, so there was that element. Also, a lot of kids I grew up with, where I'm from, is really um, like King. We're like we're, we're like the best basketball neighborhood in the city. Not 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 off not off my work, but <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I know. I know, uh, uh, you know, more than like a, more than a handful of kids that went to, you know, Division One schools and got scholarships. Stefan Marbury's from my neighborhood. He played really? pro. Yeah, like my neighborhood has produced two or three NBA players, and it's a tiny, tiny, small neighborhood. Do you remember uh, him playing? Uh, oh yeah, definitely. He's a little younger than me, but I remember him playing and knowing him. We lived in uh, the same projects. And did you, when you saw him, uh, say as ten or twelve year old? Uh, Amazing. Amazing. I saw him younger than that. I saw him when he was like, let me see. He was in third grade, I think, at the time. It's when I think I first met him. And he shot a ball from like so far away, like beyond NBA range. And he could barely pick the ball up. And he just threw it. It looked like, like there was no form. He just threw it. And it went right in. And everyone just went crazy. And they gave him the ball again. He did it again. They gave him the ball again. He did it again. Wow. That's that's muscle memory. So he just, once that first one went in, he was able to do it twice in a row. And like he was like eight or something. And I imagine once he got that feedback, he wanted more right. of that. And that's all it is. And that's why I think I, I was didn't have to sell drugs because some point at some point someone told me I was smart. And then I was like, oh, I'm smart. I'm going to go that way. Or I proved that I, I, I displayed that I was smart or something, you know. So my life seemed like it was really easy. But on the other hand, you know, like I like all my fighting was before high school. By the time I got to high school, I, I could kinda, you get in, in a lot of fights. Yeah, like before that, a lot, like just school, just you know, random stuff. And I always had that strong will. My last, I've had fights since then, but I once hit a kid in the face with a can of soda. I, I tell the story, a can of a uh, regular or diet country time lemonade. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I remember, and uh, I hit him in the face with it, a full can. And I got into trouble, and uh, I remember that was that was like I was in fifth grade, and it was an intervention of sorts. I'm in the principal's office with the principal, uh, either my mother or my grandmother, maybe they both were there, and my first grade teacher was there too, and they were all just sort of like looking at me, asking me what I was going to do, like, what are you going to do? And that was um that was a pivotal moment for me to like learn how to control my temper. But what I what I didn't realize until way later, till I was maybe 30 is that I never really learned how to control my temper when they sat down with me that day and they what I did was I learned how to rationalize things and not get mad which is good but I didn't learn how to handle myself when I'm mad so basically if I drew a circle of the things that make me mad it's like back then it was a pretty big circle now the circle is really small but if something happens to me that is within that circle the the anger can be equal to what it was because I didn't deal with that element of well, it. Well, I'm sure you know what my next question is. <laughs> what what kind of things? What's in the circle? <laughs> um, certain forms of being dismissed, you know, which may tap into the whole life thing itself. But when people dismiss me, um, and and, and you know, like when they do it in a way that's I don't dismissive, um, <laughs> but uh, that that can definitely set me off. Yeah, you know, any, and and if people lie on me, lie about me, that 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 as well. Yeah, you know, any any kid that uh, was abandoned by a parent, uh, how could you not? 
how could you not have that kind of uh, primal uh, wound there <laughs> right, that, right, that right. gets re retriggered? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I didn't even, as a kid, I didn't feel that way. Like I was abandoned and well, I didn't deal with those things. Um, there certainly was like, because I saw my mother a lot. She would, she either lived with us or would come visit a lot. And then, uh, you know, I get along with my stepfather. They've been together a long time. Um, but I, I, I just have like, I'm so lucky. Like I remember one night, and it's really fuzzy, but I know that whatever happened, he was arguing with my mother and uh, I was going to stab him in his sleep. And uh, how old were you? Nine or ten or something like that. They were, because they, Shortly after my father went to the Navy, they got together. So definitely, I think, not older than 10. Maybe 11, but I don't think so. I think younger than that. And um, so I got a steak knife. And I know this is crazy, right? I got a steak knife. Put it under the... Because I slept... He had a studio apartment. And my mother stayed there. And I would spend the night sometimes on the couch. They don't They don't know this. I, I never told them this, by the way. So I put the knife under the couch cushion. And I'm like, okay, when he goes to sleep, I'm going to stab him. And I just fell asleep, and I woke up the next day, and I was kind of like, first angry that I didn't do it, then kind of happy that I had fell asleep, and then never spoke of it, put the knife away. Do you <laughs> do you think that that was a lesson, <laughs> a crazy a, story, a lesson for, for little Dwayne, that if you wait a, a little bit of time, that, that feeling passes, that that feeling's not going to be with you for the rest of your life? Yeah, definitely. I think that was a lesson, and, and like also like a blessing, like like... I'm just glad I didn't do it, you know. <laughs> and he had his issues yeah. and stuff, but it's just like I may have like my brothers and sisters may not have been born. It was just I don't know, just not cool. At the very least, stabbing someone's inconvenient. Yeah, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. And that's the thing. I think as an adult, I have to deal with whatever hurt that is that I've had, just so I can move on. Because like sometimes I feel like I expect a certain level of excellence for myself. And sometimes when I don't reach it, I know that if I had to be 100%, 100% honest, there is a little bit like, like if I'm not neat, if, I don't, if I'm not neat, for instance, right, if my place is a little bit messy, then I go, well, you know, my place is messy because I never had my own bedroom. And I have to let that go and be like, you never had your own bedroom growing up, so what, you have it now, and just catch up, catch up to everybody else and learn and know how to fix it up. So I think... It's like a double talk where I try to act like it had no effect on me, but then I know that sometimes it did have an effect on me. But my mother has apologized, and she's she's great. And I've said some horrible things to her, too. So, What are some of the things you've said to your mom? Well, the one thing that I said to her that was really bad, because she's dealt with, um, she never had a, a substance abuse problem, alcohol problem. She used to drink, but she stopped when she was pregnant with my brother and pretty much doesn't drink anymore. She doesn't smoke. She used to smoke when she was a kid. So she has, she's never had a problem, but she's dealt with it with friends and with men she's dated and stuff like that. So she was always so anti-drugs, which is like, the thing is, what she's, what she's done is set me up to be able to um, be who I am now as a person who can deal with chaos, sometimes too much. Maybe not her exclusively, my whole situation. And sometimes I deal with, I think I have too much tolerance and I'm not, there's some... My dealings with people, I could kind of nip it in the bud sooner, and I just don't know how to do that sometimes. But um, so she would always be like, "Don't do drugs, don't do drugs, don't do drugs." Cause she had experienced firsthand from not a user, but from a person who deals with a user that you know the, the the effects. And I've dealt with the effects too. I've known my father, you know, was you know, I, I probably an alcoholic, and I've dealt with it. And so anyway, um, 
all always. She was always looking, making sure. And but it was like we 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 shared that belief, and I told her that many times. So it's like, I'm like, not I'm not into drugs. You don't need to right, worry or about alcohol me. or anything, right? Yeah. But you know, I guess she wants to be a good mom. And this is not my this is my mother, not my grandmother, right? And so I, uh, finally one day she was saying it, and I said to her, I said, Mom, I'm not a follower like you. <laughs> and uh, she still brings that up, and uh, I. Because I, I know that, you know, my mother always says, but by the grace of God, there go I. So I'm not a drug user, but I could be. So I feel bad that I said that to my mother because I don't, I believe when you go on record saying something, you, you basically challenge God or the universe and the opposite is more likely to happen, not necessarily going to happen. But that's why I don't like going on record because I tell people if something happens to me, I want to, I want, if I do something, I want people to be surprised, but not shocked, you know? <laughs> Right. So, um, so that's. I think that's really bad to say that to my mother. That to say she's a follower. I I, I think <laughs> in the history of shit that's been said to moms, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> that's got to be as close to the bottom. Uh, right, right. Of, <laughs> but it hurt her. She still brings it up. You know. Does so, she? Yeah. Um. Well, because you know when she's she's only fifteen years older than me, so like. Not that I, I I had a concept of that growing up, but I remember like being places with her and telling her not to do things or like she plays numbers a lot. Now now she plays legal the legal lotto, but before that there was the illegal numbers and you had to go like to a bodega and you had to go in the back and play. And I'd always tell her, Mom, this makes no sense. You're wasting your money. One first of all, you don't even see the numbers. They just tell you what the number is. This is before they had the big ball. <laughs> You don't, and I tell her it's there are only nine digits. It's you, you know, it's always gonna you're always gonna seem like you're close, but you're not gonna be close. You're wasting money. That, or if I saw if I saw her dealing with people that I didn't think were showing her respect, I would get livid, and I'd be like, "Don't kiss their butt. Don't this. Don't that." Like, I always had like off the charts, um, you know, defiance. Which, now that I'm getting older, I know I got I get from my father, but also from her, like. I think she she raises her children in a way that lets them challenge and question, at least the boys, not the girls as much. But <laughs> do you just think that's because she's female? Maybe, and I think just yeah, I think that is it, right? I think women have a maybe more compassion toward their sons, and fathers have more compassion toward their daughters. And plus, they probably know how to see through their daughter's bullshit because right, they right exactly they but, did the same bullshit. But my brother was more persistent than me, and you know he has a different father. And growing up, I would just see him. She would say no, and he would just keep asking and keep asking. And I was like that, too. Like, I once made my mother give me a sip of beer when I was, like, six just because I was thirsty, and I just wouldn't stop asking her. That's, you know, and, and but she's so patient. Like, I would get, I would, I would antagonize her sometimes, and she wouldn't hit me. Or if she did, it wouldn't hurt. Like, she'd hit me like a girl, like, with this part of my hand. Right. And I would just laugh at her while she was hitting me right. kind of thing. Right. I regret that. Like, you know, you shouldn't antagonize your mom, but... You know. If you could... If if God forbid, uh, you know, you only had one more day with your mom, what, uh -huh. what would you say to her? Oh, man, you know... I would thank her, and I, I, I would also... I don't know, not to open up a wound, but she's never told me about her father or like what you know how she felt about that you know i think she just maybe from an era when people kind of didn't process things as much and i know she maybe met him once or twice but 
I, I just want to know how that shaped her because I think for me, I don't think about it much, but you know, did, you, did you, you see your dad more than she saw her dad? Oh, completely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I knew my father very well okay. until, you know, until he died. So I, I just, I don't know. Maybe you can't miss what you never, what you never had. It could be a case of that, or it could be like, you know, because what I, I would, I just want to know how her upbringing impacted her because I realize now my mother's way smarter than I once gave her credit for because I always just thought it was like cut and dry, my intelligence from my father, sense of humor from my mother because my mother's very funny as well. And now I realize that, some, to be fair, like I probably got a lot of my intelligence from her as well. So I just, you know, just want to know what it was like for her growing up. Why, why, why do you think you haven't asked her yet? Just being, it would feel too uncomfortable? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't. It's like whenever I see her, it just doesn't come up. And uh, I guess to me, it's like she's more preoccupied now with her kids and her current life to understand. Mm-hmm. But like, the, really the past has so many of the answers, you know? And like, like my grandmother lived a good life, but even then she was an orphan. She was um, not raised by her mother. She was raised by this family in Florida who loved her until she, you know, became pregnant and she was sort of ostracized. And uh, my grandmother's real mother was a singer. And she was in movies in like the 20s or 30s or something like that. And she, uh, I think she once sang at Radio City Music Hall, you know. So it goes back that, whatever this thing is, it goes back that far, you know. Right. And so, you know, really we think about like my grandmother's mother's decisions and how, they impacted my grandmother and how those my grandmother's decisions impacted my mother and my mother's decisions impacted me. It's just it's kinda of crazy. What uh what thoughts do you have on uh race and, and being uh being African American today uh that that most white people don't know? Um Things that things that yeah. things that you have to uh, deal with, uh-huh. or ways that you feel about things, or things maybe you appreciate more—not necessarily bad right. things, but things that that you, you think to yourself. Or, or somebody who's not uh, black doesn't realize that I experienced this. Do any things? Oh, I probably yeah. should have asked you this in advance. <laughs> no, no, no. It's fine. There's a bunch of stuff actually. Like the one thing is that, like, minus the violence, minus the violence. You know, and I'm not, I'm sure not all black neighborhoods are violent, but minus the violence, like, I think the hood where I grew up is a, was a great place. You know, there was a lot of love, a lot of people supporting each other, but the violence and like, you could, you could argue that the violence comes from, uh, you know, people not having enough money, but I think it also comes from people being not like, not having the defiance that I had as a kid and people kind of feeling, like they're like second class citizens and that causes some sort of internal upheaval and then they lash out against each other. Mm-hmm. So um I would I would say one that that you know black neighbors are great, you know, if there's enough. And I think the money is a distraction. I think there's enough money because I think you're not talking about third world countries for the most part. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about like like I grew up I had a VCR, I had a I had a computer when I was in 7th grade, but I still had to worry about getting shot, you know. Um, you know, I, I, I wonder sometimes, um, I, I think about the, the violence and I wonder 
you know how we pass stuff on from generation to generation if we don't make a conscious decision to 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 stop the cycle and um especially like in my family right um things that my I do my dad did he did him to me his father did him to me and I and I wonder sometimes if the if the violence in in black neighborhoods isn't a result of the violence being inflicted upon the, right, the right. black race so long ago that just by natural instinct human beings are going to inflict that darkness that yeah i think was put into them by somebody else i think that's a big part of it but i also think that it's something I'm not, and i'm not excusing it no 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 right yeah. right I, I agree i think it's a big part of it I, I wouldn't excuse it either but i think it's like also i think violence is like a it's, it's sort of like a uh, say a figment of your imagination because i think like you hear a rapper will say like i didn't have anything growing up and i've been to africa and you know like not all Af- not all africa but i've been to parts of africa where they're like you know dislocated people in uh burundi who come from rwanda and they actually have nothing and they're not violent in a refugee camp right right and i think so i think the concept of nothing sometimes when you say you have nothing what you really mean is you don't you don't you don't mean I don't have material things. You, you what you mean is I don't have status. Yeah. And then because you don't have status, you act out. And I think that status isn't promised to you. You just have to sort of like I think everything starts with respect and and for others, compassion and then you can build on to that, you know. And I I think, you know, yeah, there's a lot of reasons the violence happens, but that's the one thing I I think as a for me, I'm always sort of like like put in a position to define myself because uh, people don't know where I'm from. Like they don't think I'm from like um, you know. They might think I'm from a, a house. Like I I never lived in a house. You know, never. Or they might think I'm like um, I don't know. Like like I said, a Cosby kid. And it shouldn't matter, right? I shouldn't. And that's the thing for the for, that's the challenge for black people is like to find a way to self-define because we're not self-defined and I think that's the issue where like uh, you think you're defined by uh, the media's portrayal of you how you portray yourselves in yeah, in, in think, your culture and yeah, there's a little your bit, music there's, there's and, a lot of that yeah there's a lot of that and there's a lot of like not only are we self-defined but then we don't like appreciate all the, the, the myriad of options and ways we can be and all of that and so I find myself like uh like having sometimes white people tell me I'm not black enough, which is kind of weird. But then sometimes black people telling me I'm not black enough, which is extra kind of weird. And then sometimes they does that piss you off? Yeah, sometimes they they'll usually will back off if I'm like uh, I'm from Brooklyn or I'm from the projects. I'm from this. I'm from that. And now we're like the like it's like who had the toughest time gets to be black kind of thing. <laughs> And, uh, black for a day <laughs> right right <laughs> but I, you know I know where that comes from because it's not like you know if you're rich a rich black person who grew up in Beverly Hills that's fine but then as you travel the country people can't look at you and tell you're a rich black person that grew up in Beverly Hills so you have to deal with you know some of the same issues and, and uh, racism perhaps that someone who is from the streets would so, so in a way we have no choice but to rely on each other and, and, and but I think we just have to find a way to treat each other better and not have disdain for someone who's like uh you know, a little different. But I think I don't know, I don't know how what's the solution to that. 
it's like it's going to take time, I suppose, because uh, one you know one thing I, I learned from being in a business is that uh, people are affected way more than they know by music, by images. You would like to think that oh, it's nothing, but it's actually something. It's yeah. weird, you know. Yeah, your your brain absorbs all that stuff and all that emotion and all that subconscious right. stuff. It really it really does. Exactly. So for me, I, I don't. I just sort of like. I try to just say, like, I know I'm black and I love being black and I go to Africa, have fun. But on another level, how I many, just... How many times have you been? A bunch. I've been to South Africa like five times. That's really, really where I have friends and stuff. But I've been to other parts too. I've been to Do you Do you Tanzania. feel... Uh, I hope this doesn't sound cheesy, uh-huh. but do you feel a spiritual connection when you're there? Funny you should ask. Um, <laughs> I do. I do, absolutely. Because I think that, uh, like... You know, when I go to Africa, I'm always I'm I'm obsessed with one question, right? And the question is, what was worse, slavery or uh, col- colonialism? And uh, I don't know the answer yet. <laughs> I'm still working that out. But I do think that it was on Jeopardy last right, Wednesday. Right. In a way, I would say slavery because um, something about language and the fact that most African um, countries, the people have maintained at least some semblance of their their own language. I think that helps helps a lot, you know. And I do sp- feel a spiritual connection because um, people don't believe me. This is a crazy story, but my grandmother, um, I called her Gogo growing up. That was what I, that's everyone called her that. And uh, when I asked her when she was still alive, why do we call you Gogo? Her answer to me was because she said she said I gave her that name. Really? But I don't remember giving her that name. So I guess when I was like just learning how to talk. I started calling her Gogo, and um, her name was Gloria. So, was I trying to say Gloria? Was I trying to say Grandma? Whatever, it became Gogo, and it stuck. Right, all my life, call her Gogo. And then when I go to Africa, what I find is that um, in like most of like Central and Southern Africa, Gogo is a direct translation for grandmother, really? which I didn't I didn't know that we didn't know that at all. Did that you blow know? your mind when you heard that? Oh, it did, because when I I have a, had a joke about it, and when I would be like, oh, you know, someone told me eventually, but when I was like, oh, we call my grandmother Gogo, and they'd be like, no, they thought I was sort of like pandering to them in a way. So, no, it was, it was a real thing, yeah. And um, so I don't know if it's something about just the human palate that, I don't know, I don't, it's kind of weird. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I do, I feel, I feel a connection. I, I feel like it's, it's really the same connection I have with people here, except something about their, they have like a lot of random violence, you know, but I think it's like less people percentage wise are violent than here, you know, because like, I don't know, it's weird. It's, 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 it's everything. I'm, I'm going to keep contradicting myself because in a way they have less bravado, but in a way they have more bravado because I find men in all other countries to be more misogynistic and, than, than American it, men. It, it's endlessly fascinating comparing um, developing countries to uh, first world countries. Right, right. And uh, like uh, a listener sent me an email, is depression uh, is prevalent in developing countries where they're more focused on their day-to-day survival. And so I passed that question along to a, a, um, a woman uh, who's a, a doctor, a therapist. Uh-huh. 
And uh, she said, actually, no, depression isn't, it, it, it exists, but um, because people are so preoccupied with their day-to-day survival, right, it's right. kind of pushed into the, into the like back of their minds. not diagnosed as much or something. Yeah, yeah I yeah. can see that. So, you know, and that's the thing, I think, with people in this country, there are poor people here, there are people who live below the poverty line, but there's a lot of people who kind of sing a sad, sad tale when it's like, you know, you know all I had to eat was soup. Or something like that. It's like, all right, well, that's something. Yeah, <laughs> you had soup. What do you want yeah, from yeah. me? You know. <laughs> uh, what What are uh, some common negative thoughts that you uh, that you think towards yourself? Uh, I don't know. Sometimes I think like uh, I may not be big time. You know, like I'm right now or in the future. Now and in the future, like I'm, like I'm, like I'm good. But I may not have what it takes to be big time, whatever that means. You know? can, can you can you look back to when you first started and see yourself in your Comedy Central half hour special and appreciate that growth, or do you just go? Because uh, we never do uh, that. Right, that's true. Yeah, no, I do. I do appreciate that. And and I mean, remember when you were dying to headline? <laughs> you were dying to be the feature act right, instead right, of the right, opener. Right. Exactly, exactly. You know, no, you know, I do, and. And I guess for me, it's like, okay, either I have to be big time or not be big time, but at least have, like, not at least, but not be big time, but, you know, have a life, have a family, which I don't, you know, don't have those things yet. So, yeah, sometimes I think, like, I won't get anything. I'll just, you know, like, I'll I'll have a nice career, but in search of that career, kind of give up, you know, and I don't even know if that's that life is for me, but give up family and that kind of that kind of stuff yeah well maybe this would be a good place to segue into uh uh fear off okay you got your fears i do yeah all right so i just gotta list them right yeah yeah we'll we'll, we'll trade them and uh i'm i'm gonna be doing uh my own fears instead of uh listeners unless your list is so long i gotta go to listeners okay um you want to start yes uh, i don't know if i wrote the right word here i'm afraid of losing my temper in a way that may be irreparable uh, I'm afraid that my sexuality has been permanently damaged by my mother. <laughs> wow. I'm afraid of being with the wrong person. Uh, I'm afraid I think I'm more honest than I am. Oh, interesting. I'm afraid of letting the right person slip between my fingers. Uh, I'm afraid I will say or do something that will cause people to stop listening to this show. I'm afraid of uh, unrequited love. I'm afraid I will forever use tech gadgets to distract myself uh, and avoid responsibility. Yeah, some good ones. You have some good ones. I'm afraid of being deceived on a major level by a loved one. Uh, I'm afraid I'm a bad person for eating meat. <laughs> I'm afraid of random violence. Uh, I'm afraid I kid myself about the extent of my isolating. Uh, I'm afraid the world will fail. Uh, I'm afraid I think I will reveal something on the show or the website that I will deeply regret. I'm afraid mankind has peaked. Wow, that's deep. That's deep. Uh, I think about that one, too. Uh, I'm afraid that I don't really care about people, that I just use them. Oh, wow. I'm afraid of horror films. Uh, I'm afraid I will never get over the feeling of wanting to be rescued by maternal love. I'm afraid uh, I will be relegated to helping non-peers and never fully placed with amongst my peers. Uh I'm afraid I see myself as too much of a victim uh, because I'm self-centered. I'm afraid that I'm overwhelmed and don't even know it. Uh, I'm afraid um, 
Oh, that's it. That's it for my uh, <laughs> for 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 my fears. You want to you want to uh, okay. go, go just I, I wrote a few fire. more. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm afraid uh, that it all hasn't been worth the sacrifice. I'm afraid that I'll uh, that if I uh, let me see. I'm afraid that ever I lose my love for small. Mo- oh, I'm afraid that I'll uh, one day lose my love for small things, because if I lose that, then I would be in a real bad way. I don't appreciate the little things. I'm afraid that doing the right thing is just a scam for people to get over on you and relegate me to the small time. <laughs> I'm afraid that I'm not as good as I think I am. I'm afraid that uh, even if I find love, that person deep down will never fully be selfless with me or display true unconditional love. Parentheses. With that said, I believe unconditional love should be earned, meaning it should be based on who you are and not necessarily what you do. With that said... What you do over time is based on who you are. And I'm afraid uh, um may seem funny given what I've just written, but I'm afraid that I might lose perspective. Those are great, man. Yeah, yeah. Those are great. You know, do you think you could ever get that one about the unconditional love? Do you think you will ever be able to uh, share that with a woman at some point in dating her? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. I just think that... I, I have to readjust myself to to not think that certain ways that people contradict themselves mean that they don't love you yeah. unconditionally. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I think I'm a little too like uh, cut and dry, or like 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 I, I, I as a comic, I kind of like see contradictions really easily, yeah. and sometimes I think I pounce on them in a way that's maybe just a little yeah. too reactive. Yeah. You know, oh, this person just contradicted themselves. Right. They don't care. Right. Yeah. So. Well, I, I think if you said that to a woman you were dating, you could get some serious pussy. Right. right. <laughs> I, I'll give it a shot. I like to lighten it up every once in a while. Yes, I get yes. so I get so fucking <laughs> serious uh, on this show sometimes. I forget. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I'm funny. Uh, but this stuff is really important to me. And it's good. Yeah. It. it, it uh, this is the stuff I've wanted to talk about my, my, my whole life. I couldn't believe because I wrote those fears in a vacuum just like yesterday or whatever and they actually linked up to what we talked about in a way that i didn't plan or even know it's amazing with the power of and, and i just had an e, uh, a listener email me about this he he teaches a uh course or seminar to people about the power of writing and getting your thoughts on paper and not only the the clarifying effect of it but the healing effect of getting uh, those right. thoughts and especially those right, those right. shames out. Uh, anybody listening that has never gone to the website and taken the shame and secrets survey, you can do it anonymously. Go to the website. It's mentalpod.com. And um, it's amazing some of the, the shames and secrets that people get off their chests right. on the website. Wow. Amazing. Right? I usually read one at the beginning and the uh, the end of the show, but uh, I've actually snuck some of mine in there <laughs> under, a, under a fake uh, name. A pseudonym, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, time for a, a, a love off. Um, you want to start? Okay, I don't have as many loves. Um, I love when I have more things on my agenda than time to do them, but somehow it all works out. Uh, I love feeling a part of society sitting in an outdoor cafe. Nice. I love driving when the temp in the car, temperature in the car is good and traffic is moving because I tend to come up with uh, ideas. Yeah. Uh, I like when I get to the head of the line to order food. <laughs> I like when I say a riff on stage, that's a gym and uh, a keeper. Oh, dude, that's the greatest yeah, feeling. Right? That <laughs> That is a spiritual feeling. Yeah, because it's true inspiration. And it's, and it's coming through you. It's like you're just not getting in the way. You're right. just being relaxed enough to let something in the universe flow through you. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
I love when a stranger says thank you, and I know that they truly mean it. I like, uh, I love fair people. Uh, I love when I'm able to articulate to someone just how much they mean to me. I love music. Uh, I love when I feel the universe is sending me love and it's not accidental. I love waterfalls, but man-made ones, like little fountains that you buy from CVS and <laughs> right. stuff like that. Not right. like, they're the ones that's interesting. Too, that but, you yeah. like the man-made ones more than the, the yeah, natural the, the, ones. Little, little electrical ones yeah. you, you can plug in and while you read. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I love when a friend cries with me. I was getting. I, this is when I was kind of reaching. I love pretzels. <laughs> I really do. You, you yeah. do. You do sound like you're maybe getting to the bottom of the pretzel barrel. Uh, but that's good. It's all good. Uh, I love when my dogs clean each other. I love ginger ale. Uh, I love the feeling of freedom and excitement. Uh, skinny dipping. Wow. I love reading fiction that explains life better than any nonfiction book can. That's a good one. I like that one a lot. You. 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 Raised yourself back up from the bottom right, of the pretzel right. barrel. Uh, I love the cowbell in the song Honky Tonk Woman. Oh, nice. I love my family. Uh, I love how I felt uh, the first time I saw Michael Jackson moonwalk. Oh, wow. I love making people laugh. Uh, I love the melancholy that I understood when I played the Beatles revolver at eight years old and the feeling I still get uh, whenever I hear it. Oh, that's beautiful. I love working on a set, any set filming things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the comfort and optimism of that Credence Clearwater song, uh, Looking Out My Back Door. And I love collaborating with friends. Uh, I love the feeling of being emotionally naked in a support group and knowing it's completely safe, healthy, and healing. Um, I, I, this one I just thought of. I love working out and pushing myself to the max, but just not, not, not where I'm like dead, mm-hmm. but just where I feel exhilarated and like I got something done. That's, right that's an edge. amazing feeling. Yeah. I see if you can think of another one while I while I read this one. Uh, I love when support group friends text or call me after I spill my guts out, and I'm reminded that people really do care and I really do matter. Nice. I love. This is crazy. I love taking really long flights, more than ten hours, and just vegging out, catching up on movies I haven't seen, mm-hmm. um, reading, you know, listening to music I haven't heard. Yeah. All I'm, that's when I do all of that. Yeah. Like a twelve-hour flight, watch three movies. I get that, especially if the seat's comfortable. If it's, you can recline, right. uh, if you can uh, lay flat and, and even sleep, right, right. I totally get that. It's almost, it's almost womb-like because it's like you have no responsibility. You're just... Yeah, you can't call anyone. You're not, you're not going to be paralyzed by uh, the multitude of options of what you can do. Right, exactly. Because sometimes I, I feel like I'm not going to choose the perfect thing to do. Right. And then I shut down because I'm afraid of making a mistake. Right, doing and wasting my time. Right. So I'm like, well, then I'm going to waste my time. I'm going to choose right. to waste my time right, right. instead of the universe tricking me into wasting my time. That's crazy. Uh, I, I love the feeling of sticking up for myself. I love to have uh, people read my words if I've written something, see it acted out. Uh, I love uh, picking up food for my wife and feeling like I'm a good husband. <laughs> I actually uh, like being a pr- protector slash slash nurturer as well you know uh i love the back of a woman's neck when her hair is up i love um that uh in my family i'm like one of the elders amongst my siblings and they come to me with questions and advice but i also love that at times i can transition that now to my younger brother Mm -hmm. and he's stepped you know he can step in and lead a family meeting and stuff like that that's awesome uh, I love when a woman thinks she's dressed like a slob, but she actually looks really hot and uh, real. That is a good one. 
Well, in that case, I love sundresses. I I love sundresses <laughs> too. Um, uh, I love that my wife doesn't wear makeup. Nice, nice. And uh, I don't know if I have any more loves. I only uh, have two. Um, I love taking uh, long road trips with someone who gets it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I totally get that. That is, that is uh that is really great time together. That right. yeah, you really feel close yeah. to that person and you feel like um the universe isn't passing you by. Like this is a moment in your life that is supposed to happen. Right, right. Yeah. Uh I love uh when the car uh before me leaves time on the meter. That's a good one. I think that's the one. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> and then my last one is I love correctly guessing which line is moving faster. Oh, that is good. That's on, good. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. the right one. In fact, when I, I go sometimes with, to the movies, if I go with someone, I make them wait on a different line. Yeah. And sometimes they, they make a rookie mistake and they want to get back over. Right. Because my line is close. Yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't know. This person ahead of me is only one person ahead of me. They might pull out a coupon, a check, <laughs> that's call right. the manager. Right. You you don't switch back until you're there, ready to order. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> well, uh, Dwayne, uh, is is there uh, anything you want to plug? Uh, your, your website, uh, um, yeah. Twitter. Uh, I'll, I'll post this stuff on right, on, right. The, on the the website with your episode. But in case people don't go to the website, um, what would you like to plug? Yeah, I think um, in terms of what we're talking about, I think my blog people would really get into it. It has some sort of therapeutic kind of elements to it and that's um we can repost it on our yeah. on, on my site too dwayneperkins.com slash blog or they can go to a very funny blog.com okay and dwayne is spelled d-w-a-y-n-e yes um thank you so much for uh for coming on and and, and opening up and i'm and i'm glad we got to know each other a little bit absolutely thank you paul thanks Good times. many thanks to uh to dwayne perkins and uh like you said you can uh check him out at a very funny blog.com that's where you can uh read his blog uh duh uh you can also go to his website uh, website dwayneperkins.com and you can follow him on twitter at funny dp um before we i have three surveys that i'd write, like to to read uh i believe they're all from our shame and secrets yeah uh all from the shame and secrets survey uh but before i do that uh a couple of announcements to make our uh, podcast box that's our iphone app uh i got my first report of how many we have uh sold and i'm proud to say that in 2 weeks we have sold two so that means i get a third of each of those two ninety nines, I've made two dollars in the last week. I don't. I don't want to lord that over you, but I just like. I just like you to know a little bit of success is coming my way. Uh, be sure to visit the website mentalpod.com. Um, I want to thank our audio collection team: uh, Debbie, Megan, Tim, uh, and Zach. And uh, it's headed up by Matt, who is currently kicking my ass at uh, Words with Friends. Uh, I'd like to thank our transcribing team, Jennifer, Angela, and Angela, and uh, a special shout out to Angela L., uh, who uh going through some health stuff right now, and uh, our thoughts and love uh, right with you, and uh, other people on the transcribing team, Kristen, Sean, Hannah, Juani, Sherry, Nate, Wendy, Amy, and Alexis. Thanks to all you guys, and of course the guys in the forum helping keep the spammers out, John, Michael, Manny, and Dan. Uh, you can support us non-financially two ways, by going to iTunes and giving us a good rating. That boosts our ranking, brings more people to the show. And you can also 
help us by spreading the word. Uh, since I started asking people to do that, I have noticed that our our um, numbers have uh, been increasing a little bit, so it seems to be working. So if you could promote the show, um, Reddit, um, Tumblr, Facebook, all of those uh, all of those places. Any little bit is greatly appreciated. I think that is it for the tiring, endless series of announcements. Um, the first survey that I want to read, as I said, is from the Shame and Secret Survey. It's uh, filled out by Anne Marie. She's straight. She's in her 40s. Was raised in a, uh, a slightly dysfunctional environment. Um, was the two had two answers for you ever been the victim of sexual abuse she writes yes and i never reported it and some stuff happened but i don't know if if it counts as sexual abuse um so i guess this must be the the second one she writes um oh no i I see she has divided them um repeatedly the one she never reported repeatedly molested by a male student when we were both in sixth grade Unknowingly, my parents made it worse by insisting I partner with this kid on a science fair project. Her parents would hang out upstairs having a lovely time while this creep forcibly molested me in the basement. Other stuff was when I was in second or third grade playing naked games with the neighbor kids. While I knew it was wrong, I also willingly participated. Where was the adult supervision in the early 1970s? Um, I don't know. But... uh you know, I I played naked games with uh, with neighborhood kids who were my age, and I did, I certainly didn't see anything wrong with that because everybody seemed to be a willing participant. But uh, I suppose if if somebody wasn't, um, you know, it's hard to say unless you were there. What uh, what kind of vibe something took on? Deepest darkest thoughts. She writes, "When I get home from work to find my partner drunk, I wish I could kill him and never get caught." I have a recurring dream where I hit my father as hard as I can with a cast iron pan or baseball bat. I know this comes from deep resentment of his mental illness. He is a hoarder whose disease caused me to grow up in an increasingly disgusting house where I couldn't have friends over ever and caused my loyal Catholic mom to live in his squalor almost until she died of cancer. Well, this is a real pick-me-up. Way to, way to send him home smiling, Paul. Uh, she writes, we had to do an emergency cleanup so she could have family and hospice in her home in her last days. Also, I wish he died before mom so she could enjoy life without him as an albatross. Um, what sexual fantasies are most powerful to you? She writes, I'm kind of broken sexually and don't really have much of a sexual sexual fantasy life. For some reason, uh, I've had several explicit sex dreams about Doug Benson in the past year or so. That's why I wanted to read this. Uh, she writes, I'm totally serious. I find DB hilarious, but he's really not my fantasy guy. Um, isn't it weird how somebody cannot be our type, but we can have like the most amazing sexual dream about them? Um, would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend your fantasies? She writes, my partner, no, because I don't want him to analyze where the thoughts are coming from. My best friend, of course, because the dreams are so damn funny and unlike me in real life, uh, she would totally get it. Deepest, darkest secrets. She writes, I constantly stole money from my parents as a teenager so I could buy smokes and weed. I have food, the weed, maybe that's why the Doug Benson thing. I have food issues and go through phases of sneak eating and hiding the evidence. Uh, Do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? She writes, the stealing always felt justified. Indirect compensation for dysfunctional parents. The sneak eating makes me feel like an out of control loser. Well, uh, this next one 
is from a guy who calls himself Not So Cool Cat. He is straight. He's in his 20s. Um, was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Uh, never been sexually abused. Uh, deepest, darkest thoughts. He writes, I have this weird fantasy. He's from, uh, I believe he's from Mexico, so his, sometimes his grammar is, is a little uh, hard to understand. He writes, I have this weird fantasies about getting a terminal illness like cancer or whatever and being super strong about it or my family dying and me having this epiphany about life or a group of dudes raping and killing someone close to me and me hunting them down and torturing them in fucking twisted ways then getting caught by the cops for it and becoming famous uh i think i think i had that kind of a thing too like when i was in my uh in my 20s uh that that kind of action hero uh just wanting to be special and macho at the at the same time to the nth degree uh he continues, I feel like in my thoughts I have this incessant need to have sympathy, I'm sorry, this inc- incessant need to have sympathy and admiration from people, but always at the cost of my family or my health or something. Uh, most powerful sexual fantasies, he writes, incestual uh, fantasies, always about my cousins who are pretty hot and with whom I have a very good friendship. In the most common scenario, I get them blackout drunk or give them roofies and then do uh disgusting things to them also i imagine it'd be a a while back when they were like 14 or 15 i have this thing for girls from 14 to 18 18 since i was at that age and i have acted on it never without their permission um would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend your fantasies he writes no because they're fucking disgusting deepest darkest secrets he writes Uh, I had a pathological lying streak when I was a teenager, and I've left that behind for the most part, but I still frequent friends I had in those days, and I avoid at all costs any conversation that could lead to those lies, and I get so anxious about it because I can't stand the idea of them knowing that I lied for so long about things so stupid. When I drink a little too much or when I'm way too horny, I hit on girls really aggressively, always friends or friends of friends, and sometimes... uh, not even with words, just touching them out of nowhere. If they are fucked up enough, sometimes they go with it, and I have crazy sex, and sometimes it gets me in trouble. It has happened several times, and I seem to lose control completely in a crazy sexual act of self-sabotage, always with just the wrong girls. My 15-year-old cousin led to sex no one knows. My ex-girlfriend's 14-year-old sister led to sex, cost me my relationship. One of my best friend's girlfriends, she turned me down, cost me my friendship, and the list goes on and on. Um, do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? He writes, of course, exclamation mark. I feel ashamed. I feel isolated, and I feel so disgusting and guilty. And my self-pity is just so fucking pathetic. I can barely breathe. It's so exhausting being like this and not knowing why. Um, do you have any comments or suggestions to make the podcast better? He says, uh, not really. I love it. The format, the honesty, the guest is really refreshing. I know that this is not the place to write this, but I've gone to doctors before and they gave me this easy diagnostics and drugs that do not work. I live in Mexico and I'm kind of broke, so no decent therapist uh for me all i know is that i'm miserable anxious beyond measure and so so afraid if someone has any idea what the fuck is wrong with me or whatever please help me exclamation point the 
that uh, that breaks my heart. That that um, that survey because uh, it sounds like you're you know that you're doing stuff that is crossing other people's boundaries, um, but you can't stop doing it, and it revolves. It sounds like a lot of it revolves around sex and alcohol, and so my my suggestion would be um, checking out a support group for sex addiction or you know drug and alcohol addiction. That that would be that might be my two cents. Um, again, I am no therapist, but um, I did used to have a killer ten minutes on the differences between dogs and cats, and took it around the country, and a lot of people laughed at it. This final survey is from a guy who calls himself Funtime Charlie. He's straight. He's in his 20s. And and I wanted to read this um, uh, not-so-cool not cat, the previous survey. I wanted to read this one after yours. And I, I, I think you'll understand why after I read it. Um, Funtime Charlie is in his 20s. I uh, was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Uh, he writes, there was some divorce. Not a lot, just some. How <laughs> do you have some divorce? Not a lot, just some. Uh, you ever been the victim of sexual abuse? He writes, some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts as sexual abuse. When I was seven, a neighbor who was also seven wanted to play the game sex. He said he saw his parents playing. Uh, apparently, you take off all your clothes and sit in the closet. So I stripped down, got in the closet, and he told me we were supposed to hug. So we did that. Then I remember feeling weird and wanted to get out of the closet. He also used to put Legos in my butt. Like I said, boys will be boys. Not sure if that counts as abuse or just dumb kid stuff, but I've always felt ashamed of it and never told anybody until right now. Deepest, darkest thoughts, he writes, I think about hanging myself in my basement. I think about gay sex. I'm not gay, but I think about it, and I think how gross it is. I sometimes have gay sex nightmares, and I'll wake up in a cold sweat panic and go, phew, so glad there's not a cock in my mouth. That was a close call. Dodged another gay bullet. Uh, most powerful sexual fantasies. He writes, this is so fucking sad. Ugh. Okay. I have the f- sexual fantasy that one day I will be able to have sex with a woman without being drunk or stoned and to be able to have real passionate female fan fiction erotica novel style slow and heartfelt sincere lovemaking and for once have it not feel entirely shameful and awkward once we're both finished and to be able to remember it basically to have sex that is my fantasy I told you it was sad I don't think that's sad at all I think if you never got to that place in your life that would be sad but I don't think most people are born just you know into their adult sexual life having no hang-ups or no issues or nothing that they're... I think it takes work for for most people. Um, Would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend your fantasies? He writes, maybe a partner one day, but never to my friends. I don't talk about sex with my friends. Too uncomfortable. Deepest, darkest secrets? He writes, I used to drink a fifth a day. Then I would proceed to get in my car, drive to Taco Bell, get $30 worth of food, shove it down my throat, then get all bulimic and purge it all. I never told anybody how bad my drinking or bulimia used to be. Uh, I've been sober and purge-free for 10 months. 
Do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? He writes, complete and utter self-hatred. I still cannot believe I let drinking and bulimia get a hold of me, especially after watching what it did to my sister. I can't believe I fell into that trap. Um, any comments or suggestions to make the show better? Uh, he writes, I love the podcast. Listening to all these people share their stories really does make me feel like I'm less alone. It makes me feel stronger. Since listening, I've started getting some help for myself, and I've started a stream of consciousness journal that is incredibly helpful. I'm reading the books you and your guests suggest. I'm really and truly actively working on being a better person since tuning in. I just wanted to say thank you for getting me started. I'm just another fucked up Charlie out there in the wild, wild west. I suppose we all are. That's why I wanted to read that one after the previous one. Because it just, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote a, a friend of mine, uh, Zach, said at our support group the other night. Um, he said, willingness without action is just fantasy. And I think that is so true. Many of us think we're willing to get better and to change but we don't want to take those actions that are out of our comfort zone and that last guy that I whose survey I read um, he's doing it so uh, fun time Charlie good for you man and, and this stuff takes time it definitely takes time um, so be patient with yourself and anybody who's out there is struggling feeling stuck um, you know what I'm going to say go fuck yourself no the other one there's hope there is hope if you're willing to get out of your comfort zone and try something new reach out ask for help it's the way to go it saved my life and uh, just know that you're not alone everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful everybody I know weird bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way bizarrely